There was a study done not long ago that I read, and I think it was Gallup who did it. In America, 74% of the people who took the poll hate their job. So if you start with that, so if you, this concept of buying a job, well, when I say buying a job and acquiring a business, you acquire a business that's going to um, generate some joy in your life. You're going to enjoy going to work every day. You're going to be able to um, improve the lives of others. You're going to be challenged and have the opportunity to grow. You're going to be able to build value over time, improve your own lifestyle, the lifestyle of your family. And if you grow it well or reasonably well, you're going to sell it in the future for more than you paid for it. So what the hell's wrong with that? If that's considered buying a job, I think it's fantastic. Welcome to 7 to 8, our special series on 7 to 8 figure entrepreneurs. In this special series, I interview million dollar, some $10 million, and even some million dollar business owners who uncover their twists and turns in their entrepreneurial adventure in order to help you to avoid the potholes and stick to the fast track. Welcome now to Center Stage, our next special guest. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Richard. Richard, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Excellent. So give everybody the highlight of who you are and what you do for business. Okay. I'm in the world of mergers and acquisition and have been for three decades and uh, focus a, a significant part of my business is focus on the buy side, providing uh resources and materials and advisory support for individuals looking to acquire businesses. Very cool. How did you get into mergers and acquisitions, do you think? Well, quite by accident. I grew up in Canada, like you was based in Canada, and then got myself into a horrible financial mess with some really brilliant stock market picks and found myself in debt up to my eyeballs. And I was working for a company doing very well, but realized the only way that I was going to get out of this mess was either win the lotto or go to Las Vegas. And I don't buy lotto tickets or gamble. So I realized the only way I'm going to get myself, dig myself out of this hole is potentially by a choir business or going to business on, on my own where I wouldn't have a, a ceiling on my earnings. Okay. This, this is a cool decision, <laughs> pivotal point. <laughs> I want to talk about this pivotal point because I know that there are a lot of people that get themselves into positions, whatever, or the government gets them in the position or, you know, the industry changes and <clears throat> things happen. <laughs> but in that moment when you're going, okay, how am I going to get out of this? How did you decide that buying a business was going to be the way? So you're working at a job, the investment side of things hasn't worked out so well. Hey, there's this whole thing of, <laughs> Going to business, it terrifies most people. I think I'll do that terrifying thing. That sounds awesome. Well, what I was think going on in your head. I think that saying the investment thing didn't work so well was pretty much an understatement. <laughs> I was, it was just the early, late, like beginning of 1990. I was um, 29 years old. I was making $72,000 a year, which at that time was a substantial amount of money. Yeah. And I lost $60,000 in the stock market. Um, buying stock on margin, which was presented to me in a wonderful way. When the stock goes up, you sell it. You don't even have to pay for the stock initially. Well, it's all great. But when the stock goes down, you're in trouble, which is exactly what happened. I pretty much wiped myself out, almost all my savings. And so it was really an aha moment in my life, which was, hey, you know, I'm a young guy. I, my, my then wife was pregnant with our first child and said, if I go and get another job or just stay in this job, like who the hell knows when I'm ever going to get out of this mess? Like it seemed... 
I, had, I owed this money. And so every day I was in this hole, I was, if I stayed and continued to do what I was doing, I'd just keep shoveling deeper, right? And so when I, I jokingly said earlier that, you know, I could buy lotto tickets or go to Las Vegas, um, I mean, that was something <laughs> I, I actually thought about, but it was, it was completely irrational and said, the only way that I'm going to be able to ultimately get out of this mess is get into a situation where there wouldn't be any limit in on my upside. And I didn't want to spend at that point in time, say, I don't want to spend the next 10, 15 years paying off this debt out of their hopes and dreams and aspirations. And so you got a it, year's worth of debt and you're like, oh, okay, I'll go buy a business. No, I got, I, I have a lot more than a year's worth of debt <laughs> because I still have to pay bills. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Fair so, yeah. so I had a bit of savings and there was an op. <laughs> and so some opportunity came up to um, get into my own business, which was actually um, an extension of the company where I was working, um, working at at the time, which was um, taking on one of their uh, products and setting up a my own distribution and manufacture rep, uh, rep business, which cost me, you know, quite a few dollars to, to get going, not an exorbitant amount. And it, to me, like, you know, it's when, when you have very few options, it's very easy to make decisions, right? Like that's like, like that, that, you know, so it's, it's interesting because I get that similar reaction that you've had. And for me at the time, it was like a no brainer. Like, it's like, this is the only thing I could do. Like this is, that's it. I mean, I don't, I really don't have a choice. And so the decision was pretty easy. I mean, you know, someone said that takes proverbial balls or whatever. I, I, I just didn't think of it that way. And failure wasn't an option. I, I had to make a go of this, right? I mean, I had, you know, financially just, you know, <laughs> I had had bills and a kid on the way and just it was, to me, it was pretty simple. And I, and I also thought, you know, I'm 29. So I've, I've got this financial mess that I'm 100% responsible for putting myself and my then wife and child on the way into. I've got to get us out of this. Mm -hmm. And if I fail, which I really didn't give a lot of thought to, right? I didn't, I didn't have a plan B. It was like burn the bridges behind me. So I said, but if, if this thing really craps out, okay, so I'll, I'll be 30 or 31, right? I'll just adjust. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and it kind of sort of makes sense to me that if it's a business that you're already familiar with and, and then you can take the skill set that you have and apply it into the business then it makes sense. But to go from an employee to go, Hey, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to own my own company and go, you know, I'll start a, I'll buy out a plumbing company. <laughs> how does that, how does, how does that make sense in your brain? Because to me, it's a fantastic, a fantastic turning point, a fantastic decision. And the more I think people can understand how that happens, the more successful they'll be, especially in the whole mergers and acquisitions and understanding that it is a one very viable option for creating wealth. And two, that it's not necessarily a build on your current um, skill sets, but it can be. You know, you brought up the single most important piece of this entire process of acquiring a business or the thought process. One point that you made that I'll correct, but uh, in, in totality, You've, you've honed right into the issue, which is the following. Experience in a particular sector, although I had experience in it, that's far less important than expertise. The skill set 
is everything. So someone who's working in healthcare or plumbing and heating or um, manufacturing and uh, uh, aerospace parts, the expertise is not in the sector. The expertise is in your skill set. So the, the, the mantra that I've been repeating for decades to individuals looking to buy a business is the following, which is whatever it is that you do best has to be the single most important driving factor of any of the revenue and profits of any business you consider purchasing. So to double click on that is identifying what it is that you're best at. And everybody has that one major skill set, even though some people say, well, I'm a generalist. I was working as a marketing manager, whatever. You have a skill that one skill that's better than all the others that you have, whether that be sales, marketing, um, planning, logistics, putting a team together, executing a plan, uh, estimating, organizing a, a project, whatever that is that you did within your job or your current job or previous jobs. If you apply that one single top skill set to a business that needs that to drive the revenue and profits, you're going to probably be very successful. And so people make this terrible mistake of confusing expertise with experience. The industry that you were in is your experience. Your expertise is what you did there and did well. Nice. So how do you help people to identify what that is, especially if they're a generalist? Very often it's, it's a, um, an eliminate, a process of elimination. And um, so the materials that we have to teach people how to buy businesses and go from A to Z, or you're in Canada from A to Z, takes people through the whole process. And the right business very often is a process of elimination as follows. There's you know a, an abundance of business for sale websites. People should be looking at that as, as a laboratory not as an end. In other words, those the bi businesses that are listed on the public uh, for sale websites, in the, the, the statistics are terrible. Like 75% of those businesses don't sell, but it's the perfect place to conduct your, uh, your lab research. Meaning, if you're not sure, well, the best way is pick out four sectors, whatever they may be, four sectors of businesses. Within those sectors, pick out five businesses that are for sale. Then you have a sample size of 20 businesses where you can go meet with the sellers, talk with the sellers, speak with the brokers. And through your conversations, your questions, and typically questions beget more questions, but your questions should pro uh, propel you to do additional research related to that industry, to the employees, to the sector, to what the, the owner does every day. And as you drill down and get more research and become more knowledgeable, you're able to start to weed out certain types of businesses that simply don't make sense for you, whether they be distribution or manufacturing or retail, whatever it may be, after enough research and enough conversations with the sellers, you can draw the conclusion of, hey, is can I see myself running this business? Because one of the most important things is you have to be brutally honest with yourself. If you're going for a job interview, this is this is not like getting a job. So if you're going for a job interview, right? It's, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> you're in the wrong place. And, you know, there's, you know, the fancy, um, you know, the fancy word for bullshitting is to embellish, right? So let's lose that word and say, if you embellish <laughs> your skills a little bit to your prospective employer, it's not the end of the world. You're not lying, but you're you're talking up yourself a little bit because you you want to get the job and you don't necessarily want to le learn on the fly, but you're in an environment where you can learn on someone else's dime. 
when you acquire business, you're not learning on, you're learning on your dime, right? And so making sure that your skill set matches is, is critically important. So a generalist, someone who says, well, I've been doing a lot of different things. I'm not sure exactly what I'm really good at. By that process of elimination of going and speaking with 20 different business owners in certain sectors, it's like at the beginning, you look at this like a hopper being very open-minded or, or, or shotgun approach. And then you want to bring it down to a pinpoint laser beam approach. And the only way to do that is go out and speak to business owners and learn about businesses to find out what drives those businesses and whether you can see yourself running it. So is there a, a, a pattern that you've seen, whether it's somebody is uh, an employee, they got a buyout, they decide to buy a business because it's easier just to you know, take somebody else's over than just to start your own? Or entrepreneurs are going, ah, I just really want to start my own, but I really need a division that does X. If there was one that was already established that would just fit into my current business, that'd be great. Or is there another um, prominent trend? Well, I, you know, I understand people's desire, you know, potentially to have a startup. Um, I had a, a number of them. I don't have the stomach for it anymore and I don't financially don't need it anymore. But I mean, it's, it's a great experience, right? Um, understanding that, Ultimately, over the course of five years, 96% of them fail. So you have to be, you know, ready for that. Um, I'm just a huge believer in buying an existing business. The numbers are infinite, infinitely more um, successful because you there's a known. You know, with a startup, you can, everything is blue sky. You can convince yourself of every, of anything, right? It all sounds wonderful because you haven't made any mistakes yet, but you, you don't even have paper clips, right? Like you have nothing. You're starting from, from the, from the beginning. And so with an existing business, while there, no business is perfect, right? Uh, you know, and every business has its warts and blemishes. You start out with, you've, you've got customers, you've got a product, you've got employees, you've got systems, right? And you have something established. You, you, there's generally you're going to get the keys, you know, the idea is you get the keys to a, uh, an existing business on a Monday, you should be able to take a paycheck on Friday. Whereas a startup, you know, you're investing a, a tremendous amount of blood, sweat and tears over um, uh, who knows how long. And so the, the buying an, an existing business allows you the platform because what typically happens is individuals that are um, looking to pursue entrepreneurship generally are either looking to um, replace an income or generate an income. And when a startup, there's no guarantee unless you have huge backing. And, you know, in a startup, what happens is, I don't know if you've done any, you know, the sales come half as fast and the expenses are twice as twice as quick, right? So it, it, it's just oh, more oh, difficult. Oh, sage advice I wish somebody had told me 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, right. But but it's still like, I mean, I'd never discourage someone from from a startup if you have the the guts, the stomach for it. And and of course, you know, the the dollars, to make sure you could withstand the headwinds because it's going to take twice as long as you thought. Right. So I have heard through the grapevine that some of the best businesses to acquire are the most boring ones because <laughs> there's a repeatable process in there. Do you find that entrepreneurs feel like they bought themselves a job or is there a different element that comes into play when they acquire a company? 
So there's two questions here. The first one is, you know, I, I like bland, boring, unsexy businesses that that you could repeat that you can get in, <laughs> that you can make money, that you could learn, that they're not too difficult to explain. You know, you don't want to get into something that's too complicated. If if you can't explain the business quickly in you know a sentence or two, it's probably too difficult for you to operate. So I like, you know, I like simple, more simple businesses. I have five very specific golden rules for businesses that I look to acquire. I've purchased 13 companies myself and sold 12 of them. So I'm happy to touch on that in a second. Second, but I want, you know, one point that you brought up, which is really important, this idea of buying a job, right? Anybody who has no entrepreneurial desire or is a naysayer or wants to throw wants to throw cold water on people's dreams has that standard line of you're only buying a job, right? And I say to them, so what's wrong with that? Like, th think about it. Let's say you did have, let's say this is buying a job, which it isn't, but let's say that sort of wife's tale, if you will. Well, there was a study done not long ago that I read, and I think it was Gallup who did it. In America, 74% of the people who took the poll hate their job. So if you start with that, so if you, this concept of buying a job, well, when I say buying a job and acquiring a business, you acquire a business that's going to um, generate some joy in your life. You're going to enjoy going to work every day. You're going to be able to um, improve the lives of others. You're going to be challenged and have the opportunity to grow. You're going to be able to build value over time, improve your own lifestyle, the lifestyle of your family. And if you grow it well or reasonably well, you're going to sell it in the future for more than you paid for it. So what the hell's wrong with that? If that's considered buying a job, I think it's fantastic. Like, wouldn't you- <laughs> You wouldn't make you it be sound willing... like buying a sports car and it's like- Yeah, of course. Awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. Well, wouldn't you be willing, most people would be willing to invest some money to actually buy a job. Let's never mind, but buy a job that they loved. Like you could spend your whole life, you know, 40 years working. Like if you had to buy a job, but were guaranteed to love it, why wouldn't you? Right. Well, especially if you're going through the, your process of figuring out what somebody's aptitude is, because I think a lot of people have jobs where their aptitude isn't the focal point of their day, which makes it a miserable situation because they're constantly struggling to try and figure out how to do the thing. Whereas if you're doing the thing that you're naturally good at, then everything just becomes a challenge. It's like, oh, okay, we can we can rock through this. This is awesome. How bring out bring on the next one. This would be great. So I, I think you bring up some great points, and um, and a lot of the entrepreneurs, if especially if they're the what I call a startup entrepreneur. So I identify just so you know my verbiage. I identify a startup an entrepreneur, a growth entrepreneur, a, a scaling entrepreneur, and an exit entrepreneur. And to me, they have four different personalities uh, and they like the different areas of that business. Some people, you know, may like to acquire in the growth phase, get it through to scaling and then exit them. And that's totally cool too. But usually somebody has got kind of the something, something that makes one of them predominant. And, uh, and I think, and this is where I want to get into discussion because correct me because I'm probably wrong <laughs> is that People that like to acquire businesses, I think, aren't the startup people. They are the the growth ones that want an engine that works. And it's like, how do we stream like this? How do we make it even faster? How do we make it better? How do we make it more repeatable so that it becomes a commodity that somebody else wants to buy? Well, I first of all, I'll tell you, you're, you're the, the identification of those four categories is spot on. I look at it at three because just because I'm in the world of acquisition. So my version of year four is the following three 
which is, I call them the three G's, which is garbage, good, great. So to me, every new business, brand new business, a startup or brand new business is garbage because you don't know what you're getting. You don't know if it's going to turn into something decent or um, it's just going to disappear. So to me, everything starts off as garbage because you have no idea what it is. And then you go through this trajectory, right? Because the life, life cycle of every single business is start, grow, reach a pinnacle, and then decline. That's every single business. Some some take three years, some take a hundred, but that's there's no dis, uh, disputing that sort of trajectory. So I like businesses in the middle, which I call good, right? Because there's still substantial room to grow to, to great. So if you take those three G's on the hill, garbage, good, great. If you buy them in the middle when they're good businesses, and I like good, solid businesses that can grow with you as the as a new owner and take it to the point, you know, up that hill towards great and then exit. Or some people just keep them for their whole, um, their whole life and then pass them on or sell them or what have you. So the, in my world is similar to where, you know, stop number two in your definition, which mm -hmm. is people acquire the business. The first and most important thing is you want to make sure that the business is going to transition well to you as the new owner. And at the very least, you're talking about status quo, like stable is, is stable is like is sexy all of a sudden, right? Stable is like the new <laughs> new growth or value, right? Because yeah. you, especially with, you know, some economic conditions. So you want to make sure that it's solid, stable and can transition well to you as the new owner. And then through your skill set and learning, you're able to grow that business and potentially ultimately exit. Nice. I love it. So talk to me about your businesses because that to me, buying and selling 12, 13 businesses is crazy awesome and crazy <laughs> yeah well it's, it's 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 sort of cr it's not crazy when you're in it right when you look back at it or you don't know how to do it it seems crazy but um so i've purchased 13 businesses plus one co-investment a wide range of prices from businesses from you know on the low end of fifty thousand dollars to over 200 million um they've been within um sector the sector's or the types of businesses that i purchased that married my skill set well did very well other ones did terrible. Um, I by and large, I buy businesses to operate, even if I'm operating them for a shorter period of time till I really learn the business and get the guts of the business in my, in, in my, uh, in my, in my belly, um, so that I could potentially hire the right personnel to operate them because you can't, you know, people so I want to buy an absentee business. Well, usually absentee businesses are absentee profits. So you, you, you first have to learn the business, then you can hire someone to manage it. So I've had, um, Related to retail, which my original business was um, in consumer products, I purchased four retail merchandising companies, which are companies that go into the stores across Canada. Will you be familiar like Shoppers Drug Mart of the world or the <laughs> Zellers of the world, which I hear is starting up again? And they make sure that the um, merchandise is on the floor um, in the right position, the right hooks and pegs and advertising um, programs that have been uh, shipped into the store are set up properly. So there's a number of uh, retail merchandising companies. I bought an entertainment, a small entertainment company, um, a uh, far east in, in, in China um, manufacturer of um, infant products, an Asian trading company. I bought an ironworks company, which your probably next question is, what the heck did you know about ironworks? Well, the, the answer was I knew absolutely nothing. And that's why I went Kapui. That's why I bought it. Uh, it's fascinating. Went, so I bought the went, company. Went, pew! Um, and then I purchased a um, 
um, and, and I told you about the event uh, event company. I also purchased a um, a legal document preparation company, which were in a large company in the U.S. That was for um, individuals that were going to represent themselves in court. This was the preparation of all the documents. It was a very interesting business. Um, we had flooded with calls every day. We just it was very very challenging because every county in every state very often has its own set of documents. We automated that whole thing of all these documents. It was a phenomenal undertaking, but could never really grow into anything substantial. We bought the company. It was it was doing okay, but had a lot of demand. Um, and we automated every part of it. And it again, it just, it, it, just, it, it was like one nostril above the water, could never turn it into anything mag magnificent. Uh -huh. So it exited that business, then acquired a retail business, which was actually an... Um, in one price shoe business, um, which we, which was, which was nice. We were profitable from day one, except after a little while felt like the business didn't travel. Retail is very difficult. Like you've got to be there all the time. And it was just like a stage in my life that I just didn't feel like working seven days a week, even though we were, you know, we really um, made an unbelievable splash. It was a, a superstore, like an 11,000 square foot store, um, inventory of 60,000 shoes, all one price, lower markets. It was very interesting, um, but really couldn't turn it into anything um, terrific. And like the lesson that I've learned through all of it is, you know, just reinforces what I've been teaching and preaching all these years through our uh, published materials and courses, which is the marrying of your skill set, right? I mean, I always found it interesting, you know, learning about a different type of industry or whatever, but when my skill set was not what was needed to grow that business, I paid the price. So, but overall, I've been done great and I've had a blast along the, <laughs> along the way. I love it. So to somebody that's never considered um, acquiring a business, what what do you see is their biggest obstacle usually what stops them from thinking that they can do it and what um what kind of mistakes do they make they think they're going to go in and get something and then all of a sudden it's like yeah that's not what's going on here okay so when you look at statistics in our industry it's pretty dismal like 90 percent, over 90 percent of the people who begin the search to buy a business never complete a transaction which is sort which is really crazy i mean our clients are just almost the opposite 82 percent have an 82 percent success rate but the ones that fail pretty much suffer from the same thing which which i'm, I'm sure you would have anticipated buying a business not like buying a house it's not <laughs> like you're going to just go get a real estate agent it's going to bring you to a bunch of locations and help you out it doesn't exist in that world the single biggest mistake there's probably there's you know three real big mistakes that buyers make number one is knowledge expertise and experience they have no knowledge or understanding of this process and they try to just you know uh, jump in and, and and race around the internet clicking on businesses for sale and, and and they go nowhere in a hurry right or they come across situations where they have to value business or look at the numbers or ask certain questions or negotiate and they have absolutely no preparation and so they run into too many obstacles or too many questions they can't answer so they abort the project so you know knowledge going into the, the first thing you got to do is acquire the knowledge that's number one the second thing is under getting uh, very quickly to this idea of understanding what type of business is right for you so instead of running around the or, or running and looking at businesses trying to figure out which if any are right for you the idea is first figure out what type of business is right for you, then it's much easier to find it and buy it. And then the third thing is this uh, concept of the perfect business because it doesn't exist. Every business has warts and blemishes and have to understand you're not buying perfection, right? If you, 
every business is going to have some of its challenges. So you have to be able to separate incidents from catastrophes, which ones are problematic. And there's some issues in businesses that you you shouldn't buy the business. If, for example, if it has enormous customer concentration and one customer leaves and you're out of business the next day, well, that's enough reason to not buy it. But smaller issues that may be in place that you could fix over time and address them properly, um, you have to just be prepared and willing to, to work with a business that's not perfect because entrepreneurship takes an element of risk. If you take care of the first two, knowledge and preparation and the right business, you can eliminate almost all of the risk. But understand that there's no such thing as a perfect business. So you have to be comfortable with what you're getting and, and, and overlook. Not, don't, don't ever overlook anything dangerous or that could put you out of business, but it's just not going to be perfect. It's like, you know, if you're looking for, you know, to date someone, well, you know, the guy may have a uni brow, so big deal. There's always razors. <laughs> there's, a, there's always razors. Or you, know that puppy. Or, or you know what? <laughs> right. Or, or you know what? Just get over it. Right. That too. Awesome. So when it comes to the time that is required for somebody to um to take on a business, like when is preparation? I get that. Like how much of a runway do you want before you go, okay, I'm gonna buy in January. So, you know, if I only have three months till January. I, this year's probably not the best. It might not happen till next year and that's okay kind of thing. And then once I decide to buy, is that kind of a dedicated 40 hours a day or not 40 hours a day, but you know what I mean? Going into, <laughs> to really understand the business, how, how deep into the pool are you going? Well, the, the process should take someone six months from beginning to end, which is take, and the largest part is, largest part of that is finding the, the, the business, right? So that should typically take about four months. And then you've got, you know, uh, a month in negotiating, uh, valuation, uh, valuations, et cetera, getting financing in place, and then a month to conduct your formalized due diligence. So from the beginning to end, you do this right, should take you should take you six months, no longer. Sometimes it, it may only because people may have restrictions, they may be working full time. And so only can devote, you know, 10 hours a week, whereas they should be devoting 20. But, you know, it, so it takes a year, but big deal, right? But that gives someone some, um, some, some parameters. As far as working is concerned, I, you know, unless you're buying a real small business that you can devote a couple of hours to a week, which is you probably get a couple hours worth of profit to me, just from where I come at this is you're looking to do this full time. You're looking to acquire business that's going to generate an income, replace what you already have, and you could devote yourself um, full time to it. I understand, yes, there are absentee businesses and there are alleged, you know, gurus on the internet that preach this absentee run business. I've been doing this 30 years. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but, you know, I've just been, I'm just old, right? I'm doing this long enough to know that, you know, typically absentee businesses very often, as I said earlier, equal absentee profits. And so you have to be just the, from the, the from, I come from the standpoint of jump into the, to the deep end and run this business. If you want to get a manager in place, you have to know the business before you can hire a manager. You buy a business if you don't understand it. How can, if you don't understand it, how can you possibly hire someone who's going to understand? It? You don't even know who to hire. So I'm from the school of do this, do this full-time, get into it. If someone wants to do this part-time, well, just make sure you buy a much small, smaller business because the, the risk increases exponentially if you're not there operating the business. So just make sure you don't make a big mistake, a big financial mistake. 
right? So tip, like we were talking about earlier, it's finding your skill set that you're going into. So I'm assuming that that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's going to step in as CEO. A company may already have a CEO and that's not necessarily the owner of it. So when you're acquiring it and owning it, is it possible to go in and, and take on a different position? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is possible. Very often those uh, scenarios play out when someone um, can't afford to acquire the whole business. And so they purchase less than 100%. They may leave management in place. I mean, my late partner and I had that model. We did mini private equity. We would buy companies, smaller businesses, purchase majority control, but leave the ownership in place. And that's, I mean, that's the whole concept of private equity, right? They buy and leave, they leave because they're betting on the jockey, not the horse. So they leave the operator or the, the entrepreneur in place. And they're betting that he or she is going to be able to grow the business through their resources. As far as acquiring a business, oftentimes when someone can't um, afford it, they will acquire less. However, true entrepreneurship is you get in, you learn the business. Sure, the seller or may stay may be on board as a CEO to stay there for a period of time. But the goal is you want to learn the business. You're the new sheriff in town. Time to take over and operate the business because you want to leave your mark. You know, and then so, from, so again, so I'm I'm just a huge proponent of of real entrepreneurship because I know in my own life the impact that it's had, and so and and uh, similarly, I fundamentally believe that most people uh, can do this. I know that it's dual. Anybody could do it. I mean, most a lot of people won't. It's just a matter of who does. But learning how to buy a business and then operate it, right, is something, it's so rewarding that especially people who've had this, even this thought of doing it, I mean, you've got, you owe it to yourself to at least learn how to do it and try to do it and then decide whether you want to do it. Like, don't just sit on the sidelines while the world passes you by and then like, at 65 years old, I say, oh, shit, you know, I should I should have gone into my own business. I regret now that I'm doing retired, that. I think I'll go buy a business. <laughs> it's the perfect time to do it. Right. You know, because you've got all these years, of, you got all these years of wisdom, <laughs> right? And you could approach it like, you know, look at it from a 30,000 point view as opposed to getting your fingernails dirty necessarily in, in the guts of the business. You, you probably would, you probably be in a better position now mentally and, and from a wisdom standpoint and um, operational savvy than you were 25 years ago. I love it. So that does kind of bring up a point. Is there a bad time to, in life to do that? Or is it kind of a, hey, if you're ready, then or just start looking at it. Because to me, it's kind of like, um, well, it's kind of like investments. Like there's there's no bad time to start understanding the stock market. It's, you know, it's just education, understanding. And if you decide to jump in, jump in. If you decide not to, well, you're more educated on it now. Well, I'm by nature very optimistic, but I'm also a realist. And when I look at a business, I look at it with skepticism because I want to make sure I don't overlook anything. Um, I believe that the ideal time to buy businesses when there's blood in the streets or even a trickle of blood in the streets, like I think right now, um, based upon where you know interest rates have, have gone up, um, there's um, people keep talking about this looming recession. Um, we've coming out a period of a, of a pandemic where business, some businesses went up, some businesses declined, other businesses went out of business. There's been great fluctuations. All those things bode well for a buyer because it really allows you to put performance-based deals into place. And so right now in the context of today, I think it's a phenomenal time, like truly some of the best time in the last 30 years that I've been doing this. 
leaving aside if this was if we were having this conversation everything was sort of um, the waters were calm it's it's always a good time and and you know what it's always a bad time and by that i mean you know what? you can always convince yourself not to do something like when is the right time to you know to um, get married to buy a house to have kids buy you know quit a job get a new job go into business not, you know take a year <laughs> off like like when is a good time you know when it's a good time to do that never never right like <laughs> right and yet at at the same token, by the same token, it's always the greatest time to do it, right? So it's never and always. So you have to ex explore. So I just don't, I just find a lot of that stuff is noise. And there's always, you know, you're going to have people around you, family, friends that are going to try to convince you. Otherwise, you have a certain percentage of them that do it because they just don't want to see you get hurt. You have a certain percentage of them that say it because they're jealous. And so to me, it's it's if you, you you just can't sit on the sidelines and so the good the the right time to do it is always like yesterday <laughs> <Nice>. so <laughs> what one thing i'm curious about is there a difference between mergers and acquisitions when it comes to mergers are you looking for kind of different people obviously you have to be running a business already um or and maybe not do you potentially look at two different businesses in the same industry and go, hey, I could take these both of these on and merge them? Is What are the differences that you've noticed between mergers and acquisitions? So it's a great question because the whole idea of categorizing this whole um, industry as M&A or mergers and acquisitions is really a misnomer. It's just it's been around forever because mergers represent a very, very small portion of that. And they are typically, as you said, either someone who's already in business and is merging with another company. That doesn't happen often. It's really the acquisition business. The whole industry should be called buying and selling a business. That's, I mean, that's really, <laughs> because that's what it is. But right? acquisition sounds so much better. <laughs> yeah. And the other one is it's like BNS. It's, well, it's like BNS or people are going to say it's like bullshit, right? So, so it's like, it's, it's buying and selling businesses. That's that's what this is, right? Um, in the for individuals, and if you do have um, a lot of listeners that are business owners, one of the things that people should give all I'll pay a lot of attention to and, and give a lot of consideration to is growing your business through acquisitions. Right? It's a beautiful way. If you whatever business you have, you can grow your business quickly and eliminate the learning curve by acquiring. A, a business that's either a competitor or an ancillary business. So if you're in the, you know, if you distribute, um, you know, medical products, well, you can start to distribute other medical products or buy a manufacturing company or a, re or, a or, you know, or a delivery company. I mean, there's ancillary businesses that you could bolt on to make your business better. When I was in my early business and was selling infant products, well, I expanded to get into retail merchandising and then into importing directly and then to an Asia, I was buying all these goods from Asia and then said, well, why am I paying these Asian trading companies, you know, 10% commission to do all this work? I might as well just buy an Asian trading company and do the work and get, pay myself, right? So built this thing about, um, um, you know, these ancillary businesses. And so if you own a business, you know, there, I remember reading years ago, um, this book, Thriving on Chaos by Tom Peters, which is an old classic. And they talked about the numbers that, you know, people are more inclined, 60% greater chance of a client buying from a company that they already have a relationship with than going and getting a new customer. And so in, in many businesses that you're operating, just figure out how do you get more stuff to sell to the same people that are coming through the door. And so growing your business through acquisition is really, um, is, is a real viable option. 
I love it. That's, so do you have an example of a Cinderella story of one of your clients? Oh, I have tons of them. I have a great Cinderella story from your own backyard. One of my uh, favorite clients in Calgary, Alberta, Iggy Domagowski, who's now the CEO of Wayjax. You're familiar with Wayjax in Canada. It's the right. oldest company. It, it's older than Canada. He's actually now the CEO. <laughs> he bought our course years ago, acquired. He bought our course a number of years ago. We just did a, I did a, a Zoom call with him. Um, he acquired him and his partners, acquired 10 businesses, were generating over $200 million, sold part of this to Wayjax, and then became the CEO. I have um, clients, this uh, uh, individual's name is Don Wilson. He's now in the West Coast of Florida. He was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's a longtime client of ours. He bought. He started with $30,000, bought a small candy store in a mall, bought another one and another one, then got into other businesses and exited, had a uh, $6 million enterprise by the time he exited. It's a great story. Um, and he brought his son into the business, his son also, Anthony, terrific entrepreneur, um, and and now setting his own, uh, you know, setting, his, uh, setting upon his own journey. I have, you know, We've had tens of thousands of clients. I, I We don't even have room for testimonials. I, for many years, I used to print them out and I kept, kept them in binders in my garage. I mean, I don't even have room for them anymore. And um, we're doing a redesign of one of our websites and the company that was doing it said, send me all your testimonials. Like, and then it was all of a sudden like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, we, you know, like, we, can't, we can't have like 50 pages of testimonials. So we have spectacular stories. Um, individuals who've acquired companies from, from a full range of them. You know, I have one client who um, um, bought our course a number of years ago, then hired me to do some consulting work for him, which I really don't do much of anymore. Um, and then we were looking at a number of businesses. He decided to start one and then would make these acquisitions. So we started one. We then went out and bought an, a bunch of businesses together. I was helping him in the engineering world. Um, ultimately, he, he grew that pretty quick, ended up selling it for over 20, part of it for over $20 million, then kept a piece of it, grew it again. He's, he's since bought and sold hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, engineering firms and been incredibly successful. Um, of course, you have his, te his uh, testimonial as well, a man by the name of Gary Ellswagen, a, a brilliant guy. Um, but by and large, everybody started small, just bought these nice, smaller businesses. And I say small, you know, sometimes there were businesses for a few million dollars, but we're not talking about $100 million companies. Some people buying, you know, like Don Wilson invested $30,000, then arranged um, some SBA and seller financing, built it up. So, you know, it's it, it's proof positive of getting into it can lead to all these wonderful outcomes, right? Yep. That was awesome. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How did they start that journey with you? The easiest way is, you know, go to my website, richardparker.com. Very easy to remember, richardparker.com. There's tons of free articles that we have there, some reports, and also the information or the, the uh, you know, the courses that we um, sell that help people. It's called How to Buy a Good Business at a Great Price. We've sold 100,000 copies, over 100,000 copies of these. You can link and, and find that on there as well. But certainly from a standpoint of getting a ton of free information related to all the steps in the process, they could really, um, you could lose yourself on the website because there's hundreds of articles and they're helpful and, you know, you start to educate yourself. I love it. I love it. So, of course, we will have all of Richard's links in the show notes. So go ahead and scroll down, click on the links, open them up in a new browser, of course, because we're not done yet. So 
Well, we delved into the story of when you decided to go into the entrepreneurial world, but I still want to know at what point did you know that you were that special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Um, I, since I'm a kid, I mean, I've always had business. I had my first business when I was 12, right? Okay. And, you know, and, and um, which was a paper route. And then I started taking on all these other paper routes and selling them to local kids. When I say selling the routes and giving them the right to deliver a hundred papers, I said, you keep the tips. I was just making a penny a piece from the actual newspaper. And I had like, I had like 1200 uh, houses that I was delivering to every Sunday. Realized I, I did a hundred, but I farmed out, you know, uh, over a thousand of other neighborhood kids. And the, the main paper paid me one penny a piece and they kept and they kept their tips, which was at the beginning was a great tip it was 10 cents because the paper sold for 15. So people used to give you a quarter. Then they raised the price to 20 cents. So people used to only give you still gave you the quarter. You, your income dropped in half, right? Oh, yeah. But, yeah. But I would say when I was really young, I always had, you know, was always washing cars or growing up in Canada, shoveling snow. So it's always very entrepreneurial, more so from, you know, my parents were, I come from a real lower middle class family who didn't want for anything but we weren't affluent by any means my parents all worked very hard and I think one of the you know driving factors was my late father who was a wonderful guy um, huge influence on my life he was always incredibly generous making sure that I had a few dollars in my pocket but he never gave me money if I didn't have a job so he'd always ask me you need a few bucks if I was working <laughs> and I worked from the time I was like, you know, again, shoveling snow at 10 or whatever. So if I was doing something, you know, I said, you need a couple of bucks. Fine. If I wasn't working, he never offered. So it was a very, it was almost, he did, yeah, I mean, in his own way, it was brilliant, right? Like right? demonstrating like you got to work. And I pumped gas and, you know, it grew up where you, there was no self-serve gas stations. You pumped gas and did oil changes and changed winter for summer winter tires. So my entrepreneur, my entrepreneur gene to me was like, was always there, mostly from a standpoint is, you know, I always felt good about having a couple of bucks in my pocket. I love it. You have now been absolutely. Now I'm just happier having more, but it's like, it's, it's the same, it's the same gene. I love it. I can say you've been absolutely awesome. Any last words for our peeps? Yeah. You know, really, it's just something we touched upon earlier, which is you owe it to yourself to at least explore it. Doesn't mean, you know, learn, a, learn about a bunch of these opportunities and the potential to do them. Doesn't mean you have to do all of them or any of them, but you really owe it to yourself to find out what's involved and take some steps in the process. And then you could decide. I think a lot of your listeners would be shocked. It's easy to do once you know how to do it. And so learn about it and then make a decision. And then, you know, it's, you could decide whether or not you want to jump into this world of business ownership, because I think as people learn more and more about it, they're going to become fascinated and excited. And especially if you're intellectually curious, I think it's, I, I think they're really going to start to, you know, have this burning desire to be in their own business and say to hell with your boss forever. I, I love it from so many angles because I think so many people are afraid of what if I don't make money and to study businesses that are already making money <laughs> gives you a much better advantage point of understanding how to create a successful business if you decide to go on your own after that it's perfect that's a that's a perfect summary of it you're able you have your own laboratory and then you could decide exactly well thank you so much for your time i appreciate it and i know how valuable it is thank you i appreciate your time and your questions are great and i really enjoyed our conversation 
Awesome. Peeps, thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show, share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Thank you for listening to 7 to 8. If you're interested in upping your speaking game, be sure to connect with our guests with the links in the show notes and connect with me to see how we can help you get your tech done for you and help your speaking dreams come true.